episode 368 of Retro Encounter, RPG Fans Weekly Podcast of Many Topics. I'm Mike Solosi. If you've been a listener of Retro Encounter over the years, or at least a listener of Retro Encounter for the past couple months, you've probably heard us, like, wistfully talking about remakes multiple times. Um, whether it was the Ogre Battle 64 episodes, or the Star Tropics episodes, or even the episodes where we were talking about our favorite games we played over and over, all of us were, like, had, had regrets or hopes that a bunch of our favorite games might receive a remake in the future. And and uh, and also, um, recent history has borne that out. Uh, just last year, we got remakes of Live Alive and Chrono Cross and Tactics Ogre, and that's just from Square Enix. So because remakes are now a regular part of a uh, the video game release hour n- uh, cycle nowadays, and RPGs and RPG fans have so many games they wish were remade, we had more than enough ammunition for an episode on the topic. So uh, before we get deeper into that, let's introduce the rest of the panel, starting with Joshua Lindquist. Uh, Hi, everyone. And Jonathan Logan. Hello, everyone. And Audra Bowling. Hiya. And Tin Manuel. Hello. So uh, Audra, Tin, Jono, Josh, uh, I definitely don't know how a serial comma works, because I think I said and four times introducing you guys but uh we all have something in common and that is we there are each of us has a few or several rpgs that we wish could be remade uh, for a modern audience or at least you know playable on a switch and and not just a super nintendo um but but again this is uh like previous episodes that i uh jokingly call show and tell episodes i asked each of us to bring two games we wish could receive a, re- a modern remake uh, and then we could take turns discussing each of them. Um, so does anyone want to go first and uh, and tell us what game they've brought for show and tell? Yeah, sure, I'll go first. So uh, one of the games that I'm bringing today is actually going to be two games, technically. Um, and I, as my as my first choice of most wanted remakes, I picked the uh, the Oracle series uh, from Legend of Zelda. So. This is Legend of Zelda Oracle of Seasons and Legend of Zelda Oracle of Ages. These are two Game Boy Color games that were released in 2001, which technically, though they were made after Link's Awakening, technically, I think they happened timeline-wise before Link's Awakening. Um, but they were designed, uh, you know, on the Game Boy. They used the same uh, same graphic set as Link's Awakening. And uh, Link's Awakening is, you know, for many, many reasons, an absolutely beloved Game Boy game. Uh, and these games are arguably just as good in many ways. Um, I love them. I think they are amazing. They are kind of, I don't want to say forgotten. Actually, they're not forgotten at all because they just got announced as uh, being part of the uh, Switch Online uh, Game Boy series that's releasing. So I, th- I think, is it all? are they already available? No, they're not already available. Okay, well, they're coming out. Um, so they're, they're, the originals are coming out. Uh, and uh, when they do, I might just replay them because I love these games. They're so much fun. Um, and they've been kind of forgotten by a lot of people because they've never gotten really any re-releases or anything on the Game Boy Color. They are arguably, in terms of scope, uh, they're massive. Uh, the reason why is because these two games technically link together. There's a password system, so you can play them in any order, which is really, really cool. And by using the password system... Uh, whatever game you play second becomes a sequel to the first and changes some of the storylines and some of the character relationships. And then at the very end of it, 
Uh, if you complete both games using the password system, you unlock the true final boss, who I don't want to spoil it, but uh, it's a pig. Um, and uh, yeah, I just, I think these games are tremendous. I think it was a super, actually it was, it was overly ambitious because originally the plan was for there to be three games and then they decided, okay, this is too complicated for the Game Boy Color and probably development time. So they merged two of them into one. Um, and yeah, they, they have some really, really cool mechanics. One is based around changing the seasons. Uh, obviously, that's Oracle of Seasons. And the other one is a little bit of a uh, little bit of time travel between the past and the present. Each game has its own focus. Uh, seasons is a little bit more action oriented and ages is a little bit more puzzle oriented, but they're both still, you know, classic Zelda games in terms of the mechanics. And given that Nintendo released uh, Link's Awakening a few years ago for the Switch with the full remake, it seems like a no brainer that a remake of these two titles uh, would be coming at some point this year or next. Um, with some changes, arguably, like I said, these games use the same graphic style as Link's Awakening. Um, and that wouldn't really make sense for the Link's Awakening remake because it uses the diorama, uh, almost claymation uh, animated style to work with the the dream, the dreamlike world. And these don't take place in dreams. So, you know, the, the central conceit of that wouldn't make sense. But I mean, they already have the graphics uh, designed. It, it seems like a no-brainer. It seems like not a whole lot of work that they would need to do to make these things into uh, exceptional remakes. So yeah, this is my first choice. I think that I think these games are both worthy of uh, full-scale remakes for the Switch, and I think they would be hits if they ever were released. Well, okay, a couple things. Um, uh, uh, Josh is right. They these were confirmed to be part of the uh, Game Boy um, Switch Online program, so we are going to have them eventually on the Switch. But they will be in their 2001 Game Boy Color gro Glory. Uh, they also did get re-released on the 3DS about uh, uh, nine or ten years ago. So, and and that's how I recently replayed them. I say okay. recent, I say recently. I think it was like 2018 or 2019 or something. But uh, but so, so you um, but the, but the th that 3DS shop is closing very very soon. So they won't be available there much longer, um, and uh, but but I totally agree they are excellent. Um, the the puzzle designs and action and dungeon and uh, overworld designs are really really good. Um, and yeah, it was originally going to be one game for each of the three uh, Ocarina of Time oracles, but then the Furore game uh, was never made. But but they do have interconnectivity and like and not just with bosses and stories like you can upgrade the sword from level one to level two in one game. But if you do a connected version, you can upgrade the same sword from level two to level three, uh, like like a lot of small things like that. But it's it's really satisfying playing them back to back and having a game that or, or a remake that sort of combined them uh, and sort of got maybe uh, baked in some of the password stuff. But mo most importantly, not having you. Oh, or I should say, allowing you to equip more than two items at once, <laughs> mm -hmm. and 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 uh, and use just the additional buttons on the switch to have a little bit more, a little bit more moment to moment functionality. Uh, because I mean, the, the Game Boy was limited by only having A, B, select, start, and uh, well, you know, you have to use two of those for pausing and saving. So, um, a, a modern remake of these that controlled a little bit like. A Link Between Worlds or the Awakening remake would be extremely welcome. Totally agree. Uh, but uh, Josh, I of all the people here, 
the one person I was most certain had played those two games is you. So yeah, I felt uh, I felt bad about picking these because I was like, oh, Josh is on the podcast. Oh, well. <laughs> <laughs> so I specifically did not pick any Zelda games. Uh, so yeah, like no, I'm not ever gonna say no to remakes of games. And yes, I've played these multiple times. I'll probably play them again soon. Um, I was probably I was actually gonna start playing them on my 3DS, and then they decided they're coming to switch soon so i'll probably just wait a few months or whatever uh no i i agree like it's hard to go back to the original version of Link's awakening now because it just they added buttons so you don't have to open the menu so much um agreed if they can just do the same thing for the oracle games it'll make a big difference uh, i think the oracle games have they have some really interesting items uh probably more so than Link's awakening does but that means you have to open the menu even more. Yeah, if they gave me a permanent button for like the Pegasus Boots Dash and then the Rocks Cape Double Jump, then mm-hmm. I would, I would, yeah, I would just buy the game just to double jump all around, all all around the island. Uh, but then I think uh, Mike mentioned the uh, passwords. They could bake that in a lot better on a modern platform. You know, see that you have saved data for Oracle of Ages automatically and not make you put in a 20 digit code or whatever uh so i would love to see how they just could modernize that Uh, audra or tin have you played uh oracle the zelda oracle duo and uh if if yes does that sound good to you i have not but i kind of love the interconnectivity it sounds like that's a really neat concept that it changes things depending on which game you played it it was dope it was dope in 2000 or whenever that happened and continues to be dope in 2023. <laughs> I haven't, but um, now that you guys are talking about it, I, I'm really looking forward for it to come out and the Switch with the Game Boy thing coming out. They're really good 2D Zeldas. I mean, if you love 2D Zeldas, these are... Yeah, I do. <laughs> if, yeah, if you love 2D Zeldas, these are, well, 2D Zeldas, and they're very good examples of the genre. Um, I mean, if they did remake them, there are obviously baking in the password system would be cool. I I think Josh and I talked about this on a past podcast. I can't remember which one, but I always thought it would be very, very cool if they fulfilled the original ambition for the game. Oh. And they oh. made it made a third one, made a third yeah. one, but they don't even need to really make a third one. They could just expand the epilogue of the uh, where they fight, where you fight Ganon. Like technically speaking, there is the like there's the post game where you know you beat the two games and then you fight ganon it would be really cool if they took that and they expanded it out a little bit and they made it into its own if not full length entry at least much more uh much more of an entry uh and i don't think it would require i mean it require a lot more work but i don't think it required too much more work i well i don't i don't want to diminish how much work goes into making the video games we love yes exactly uh but but i'm that's more ambitious than i was thinking but also don't forget you don't just fight ganon at the end of the connected story, you uh, you get the the twin Rova bas- twin boss boss battle yeah. is great. It's it's an extremely a, a remake of that would uh, actually be a big improvement too. Uh, twin Twin Rova is pretty hard because you can't even see both of the sisters on screen at the same time. So you're deflecting ice balls at the fire sister, and you can't even see where you're aiming all the time. 
So just having a bigger screen. Yeah, going from the from the tiny Game Boy screen uh, to a to a nice Switch double wide sounds good. But all right, if we're talking about the nuances of the twin robot boss battle, we really need to move on, especially that we have ten games to get to in this podcast. Yeah. Before we recorded, uh, we were talking about um, games that we sort of that almost sort of made the list, and I even pulled an audible and changed my list at the last second. Um, because we, we got uh, started talking about Tales of Video Games. That's, that's a series I love. Uh, I've loved since the early 2000s when I first played Tales of Fantasia. And Tales of Fantasia is another game that could use a remake, but I'm not talking about that one today. Um, one of my uh, biggest frustrations of playing Tales games in the 2000s is, is twofold. Uh, I, I tried playing Tales of Destiny when I was in high school, which was so long ago I'd rather not say which year. Um, but that game was slow and clunky, and you could tell that the story was good, but the translation was awkward, and it had bad load times. But it, but it was well known to be like it, it was uh, it was the favorite Tales game in Japan for several years. Uh, Leon won every single Tales of character poll for like the entire first half of the two thousands. It, it, it's a cool story about heroes that all have talking swords, and then there's betrayal and politics, and uh, just a bunch of cool stuff going on at once. And, but I but I struggled to enjoy it because of how clunky the game was to me and 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 the swordian leveling up your swords system versus equipping better weapons system. I, I, I don't know. I, I wish there were some changes made to that. But then the extra frustration was that in I, I think 2006 might have been 2005 Tales of Destiny got a PS2 remake that looked just so good. Like, like it looked every uh, video I saw of the Tales of Destiny remake looked like a uh, a Marvel versus Capcom 2 fight because there was just it was just colorful and explosions and and everyone was moving so fast and uh, and it, it looked like the Tales game I wanted to play the most but um that remake never released worldwide and that original PS1 version has so many problems that it is the Tales game and it, but it also has a reputation for having such a good story and characters uh, and it's a reputation that I believe because I was like the part, of, the only part of the game I was really loving uh, when I tried to play it in the early 2000s was the story and characters. So it is probably the one Namco RPG that they would remake the most, even if it was just giving us a functional port of that PS2 version on modern modern hardware and a modern translation. That would be enough. But if they if they went further and gave it a more thorough remake, I would of course love that as well. Uh, I, I don't have a, the history with this game that I do with even even the Oracle ga- uh, Zelda Oracle games, because again again I, n- I never finished original Tales of Destiny, but it is, uh, it definitely has its fans, and it is the one Tales of game I wish could be dragged to the modern era more than any other. I, I mean I know that we've talked a little bit about this before recording, but listeners definitely aren't uh, aware of that. Um, has anyone here played Tales of Destiny or is at least interested in it in it or interested in a potential remake? I am quite interested in it. I have not played it yet though. Yeah, um Audra, you and I were on a podcast several months ago where uh y- you played your your first or second ever Tales game when we did those Exilia episodes, right? Yes, it was my first Tales game. Right. And I th- and I think you mentioned that you were going to make more Tales attempts uh following that. Have you done so? I have several copies of Tales games. I just need to find time to play them. That is a struggle I know all too well. <laughs> we keep her too busy at the uh, review in the reviews department. 
Yeah, I mean, I mean, Audra won't be able. She'll lose sleep if she doesn't do thirty reviews in a year. <laughs> uh, but thirty. Stop slacking off on. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think I average. Uh, I've been an RPG fan for over eight years, and I think I average around uh, half a game per year. So I have, I have no uh, platform to stand on here. But has anyone else here uh, at least checked out Tales of Destiny a little bit? I actually would want to play this in modern platforms since my brother uh, talked a lot about this. Like, this was his favorite uh, Tales game. So, yeah, I want to experience it for myself as well. Um, I have played it, actually, uh, but not all of it. I've I started it, I was playing it, and just could not get into it. And this was many years ago. Um, but, yeah, I just it just didn't click for me the tale series on a whole has never clicked for me i don't want to be negative because i mean obviously they're an exception it's an exceptional series and there's so many of them out there but i gotten through fantasia uh and destiny i started it and it just never clicked um now i've obviously we don't have the playstation 2 version the remake that might click better um i think also the reason one of the reasons this game it's beloved by some rpg fans but it did suffer some significant uh, a significant hit because it came out after Final Fantasy VII, and it looks like a Super Nintendo game. It looks like a really good Super Nintendo game, but it looks like a Super Nintendo game, uh, whereas Final Fantasy VII obviously uh, utterly changed the landscape as far as RPG uh, RPGs go. So I think that this may have been a bigger hit if Final Fantasy VII had never come out. Well, I mean, Final Fantasy seven, eight, nine dominated the uh, oh yes, the, the PS one RPG landscape so much that people that were seeking out games uh, or seeking out RPGs not of that era, not bit made by Square, were really a niche within a niche. So, it, uh, but 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 like, I mean, you could use the FF seven overshadowed it argument for almost every other RPG of that era. So oh, you absolutely <laughs> can, and you can see it based on the RPGs that came out in the following years, uh, I, I would argue that in many ways, RPGs, the graphics of RPGs took a massive hit because of Final Fantasy VII because uh, Tales of Destiny is gorgeous. Um, it, it looks, you know, beautiful, beautiful pixel art, uh, very polished, whereas, let, let's just face it, polygons are uh, not beautiful. Um, so, <laughs> like, this, this, like it's 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 literally a, an entire art style, an entire... Uh, you know, pixel art just vanished, uh, except for with rare exceptions for many, many years because of Final Fantasy VII. And Tales of Destiny has some friggin' gorgeous pixel art in it. But again, people would look at the pixel art based on the context of the time and be like, "Oh, that looks ugly. Give me some polygons." <laughs> okay, I've done some background googling. Uh, so the Tales of Destiny remake was a ten-year anniversary remake that came out in two thousand eight, not oh five or six. I, I just I specifically remembered watching it in my college dorm room and sharing it with people in the, in the college gaming club, uh, like, like YouTube trailers of it. But I was off by a couple of years. The, the, the remake was 2008, but that changes nothing. I want either a modern version of that remake or a, a even more thorough remake of tales of destiny, which is again, again, by reputation, a tales game with some of the best story and characters in the series, but is considerably less playable uh, and, and even less accessible. I don't, I don't think uh, you can get that in English on any reasonably modern platform. You need that. You need those PS1 discs. Mm-hmm. 
So uh, th that that's definitely um, a remake I'd like to see happening soon. So someone besides Jono or I, uh, let's move on and talk about another game for uh, most wanted remakes show and tell. Actually, going into polygons, um, my first game that I picked was Ligaya 2 Dual Saga. Audra, for, first of all, before you talk anymore, brilliant transition. A, a plus, <laughs> 10 out of 10. Now, oh, please, uh, give us some more about Dual Saga. Yeah, that was smooth. That, well, was, that was nice. It's a 3D graphics game from the PS2 era. It's the sequel to Legend of Ligaya, which I debated whether or not I wanted to say either Ligaya game for the remake. I just felt like Ligaya 2, it has more going for it in terms of some of the gameplay mechanics and storylines that I think it would probably be a easier one to remake. So I went with that instead. I feel like they'd have to overhaul some things for the first Ligaya. But it's a great, it has a combo-based turn-based system, which I kind of fell in love with. I just love the fighting game implementation of the combos in it. And I think they could really make a more action-oriented version of that in a remake. And it would be just a fun time for all. Yeah. Audra, did, did you talk about this game on a previous episode in the, uh, in the last year or so? Because it, it really sounds familiar. I believe I did in the story... Story versus, versus gameplay—that's gameplay. what it was, yes. right? And that—that's exactly what it was. I remember. Thank you. And uh, and I remember when you described the combat system in that episode. It it did sound really intriguing because I remember price checking this game, um, <laughs> uh, probably right after we recorded that. But uh, uh, like like how much of the old game would you want to keep in a new remake? Is, is is it mostly a visual overhaul that you want, or do you think that there would be there's a lot of improvements to make? to narrative or gameplay design choices as well. I feel like there could be some tweaks to narrative just to flush it out more. Nothing like too extreme. I'd probably want more of a visual overhaul, I think. Because honestly, it's a fun game from a gameplay mechanics stance. So I'm, yeah, I'd probably say visual overhaul. And I mean, maybe if they wanted to make it a bit more instead of totally turn-based like somehow make it a little bit more of an action rpg element from how you implement the combos more of like a fighting game actually that could be cool so less xeno gears more xeno blade how the combos play out yeah uh, but i i remember i um on that episode the story versus gameplay one that you were the only person that had played Lagaya 2 and I and I'm concerned that might be this case again. Uh, Jono, Josh, or Tin, have any of you guys played Lagaya Two: Dual Saga? Nope. 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 They're both very good games. <laughs> I love Lagaya games. <laughs> and, and and if only they were accessible to a more modern audience. I, I think. Yes. Yeah, from both a from both a preservation standpoint and a these games are good and you should play them standpoint. They 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 sound like winners. This might mm -hmm. be a recurring theme on this episode. If <laughs> oh yeah, they were we'll more accessible. I, yeah, I th I'm looking at our list here, and I think that is true for pretty much everything. I mean, that's the reason why remasters are so popular nowadays. It's, you know, it, it's nice to get the graphic upgrade sometimes, and it's nice to get mm -hmm. quality of life features. But the reality is, the main reason why I think I love a good remaster is because all of a sudden it's available again in a format that is easily accessible. Oh, um, yeah. I don't think they're necessarily, like some people just say, oh, they're just money grabs. Well, yes, but that's the point, really, of any video game. They're trying to grab as much money as they can, and now they're available again. So, yeah, gimme. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, yeah, video games are a business, so yeah, it, like anyone that says, "Well, they're they're only in it for the money," it's like, "Well, okay, everyone is technically only in this for the money." Mm-hmm. Like, but but the uh, but but things like the Live Alive remake from last year—that was a game from 1994 that I'd always heard about and attempted to play once, but was it was like it was permanently in the Square back catalog or or Square vault, but uh, but not very accessible. But then this when this remake happened, like. It, it was so celebrated it like um uh, people were discovering it for the first time or uh playing a game they had always wanted to or uh, like discovering this great yoko shimamura soundtrack from her early career it was like like everything about an event like the live alive remake is positive even if like probably not 10 million people are going to play it but 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 the fact that the, uh, like a legendary game is now accessible to a modern modern audience like even if it doesn't make hundreds of millions of dollars it's a it's it's a great idea and again i've never played any of the legaya games but because they have fans like audra and there maybe is some money to be made i mean i i'd I'd welcome a remake I, i i i welcome any kind of remake of a game that's more than say five years old slightly side-eyeing the last of us's multiple remakes here um <laughs> but uh but but lagaya 2 little saga definitely sounds like a worthy remaster uh speaking of worthy remasters um uh josh which of these 16-bit games you've chosen do you want to bring us to first <laughs> uh we'll talk quintet first so uh i've chosen illusion of gaia uh i think a lot of people would have chosen terranigma instead but uh that one didn't come out in the states <laughs> yeah uh, terra enigma um, and vibribbon are at the top of the list of games that had full english european releases but not north american ones those are, those are the two you see all the time yeah so i grew up playing illusion of gaia a lot um and uh i mean quintet has a pretty incredible if but small catalog and uh actraiser is the only game that has ever been re-released uh and remade now but uh so illusion of gaia is just it's one of my favorite super nintendo games i mean they did dress it up like a zelda game on the box in the u.s oh God, the box looks exactly like a <laughs> zelda game it uses the same font illusion of gaia legend of zelda clearly that is what drew my attention as a kid um but uh but no it's just an excellent action rpg um and i i don't really think it needs a lot of adjustments i just want it to be made available again uh like we were talking with zelda it could uh it could use the extra buttons because even with the super nintendo controller they didn't use them all uh and so some of the controls are a little bit weird um you know you have to run frequently but in order to run you have to double tap the d-pad you know an analog stick could fix that (laughs) and uh you know, just being able to put map special abilities to a button instead of having to like hold and charge a button or something. But other than that, I just want to make it available again. Uh, but it's just a, it, it's very Zelda-esque. Well, 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 well Josh, uh, you managed to like find the exact gap of quintet coverage within re- uh, Retro <laughs> Encounter. Um, we, we did three episodes on Terra Enigma in 2015. And then we did uh, a, an episode on Quintet's games called Quintet Encounter in 2017. And then we did two episodes on Soul Blazer in 2020. So Illusion of Gaia is the one game in the Heaven and Earth trilogy that we have not covered in detail on this podcast. 
Um, but it, it's also the one of those three games I've probably played the most. Uh, um, I, I did play this many, many years ago on the Super Nintendo. And then when I was emulating everything under the sun in the 2000s, I played that. I played it again as well. Um, all three of the, the Soul Blazer trilogy or Heaven and Earth trilogy, whatever you want to call them, um, are sort of dark and weird story-wise. Like, like, like in, in Illusion of Gaia, you watch your companions or party members like like sacrifice themselves for you more than once, which is weird. Uh, and, and also the, uh, the, the dungeons are all, um, uh, well-known landmarks or legendary places from the real world, like the, like the Egyptian pyramids or the Nazca lines or, uh, the, the Angkor Wat temple in Cambodia, uh, and, you know, things of that nature, which, which gives you the, uh, like, makes you suspicious, like, is this an alternate version of the real world? What's going on here exactly? Um, which is another thing that's carried even harder in Terra Enigma, the, the third game of the trilogy. But um, Illusion of Gaia is super, super cool. Transforming into Freedan or Shadow it just makes you is is a very nice power fantasy because because Will is a bit of a you know a a a a skinny kid that attacks with a flute while um, Freedan is this badass knight and Shadow is some kind of like blazing aura demon thing. It's 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 super cool every time you get to turn into one of those guys. Uh, and, and I really, really like Illusion of Gaia. Um, and I have a, a small confession to make. I am uh, in the middle of writing a feature right now for RPG Fan that is about my most wanted remakes. But Illusion of Gaia is one of the games I highlight on it. So, uh, yes, I share your wish in a modern way to play Illusion of Gaia. 1,000% correct. Yeah, like, just as to end, uh, you mentioned you, you had played it years ago. And it's like, I played it, uh, I played it last year. Uh, I played it again and I had played it in like 2019 or something. Also, I think it actually holds up. Uh, I was not a kind of not expecting it to. I had not played it in like 10 years or so uh, since then. But uh, no, I thought revisiting it, uh, you know, maybe it doesn't reach the heights of a link to the past or something, but, but it's a pretty solid action RPG. I recall it being a pretty solid action RPG too. I really enjoyed it on the Super Nintendo, and yeah, I also uh, I also emulated the crap out of it in the early two thousands. Um, it's it's terrific. I feel like this Soul Blazer and Terra Enigma. I guess personally, I would rather see these get a remaster than a remake, um, because I think I think the games still look real good. Um, especially Illusion of Gaia. I, I just love the graphic style in it. Again, pixel art is beautiful. Um, I would love to see just a glow-up version of these three games released as a as a bundle deal, as, you know, uh, the collection. Collections nowadays are hot. Um, I think there might be some rights issues in the way of that ever happening, but if we ever got these three games in one, one package, that would be uh, exceptional. I like the upcoming Suikoden. Yeah, well, the, not just the upcoming weekend collection. We're we're getting a Baton Kaitos collection. We're oh, getting yeah. an we're getting an Etrian Odyssey collection. We had that Secret of uh, not Secret of Mana. We had that Mana collection from 2019. Um, the, the, there's money in them. There are collections, and and Konami is maybe most aware of them at all because I, I think they release more collections than actual games nowadays. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But but a a Heaven a Soul Blazer collection or Heaven and Earth collection would be an instant buy for me because I would it would give me a, a chance to finally finish soul blazer and uh replay tales i'm sorry whoops and and replay illusion of gaia for the first time in 
oh geez, I, I think I, I beat it like once 25 years ago, and then a second time emulated maybe 18 to 20 years ago. So it's it's been long enough that it would feel fresh to me for sure. But uh, 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 Tin is, is uh, are any of those games Soul Blazer, Illusion of Gaia, Terradigma uh, familiar to you? Sadly, I was still a baby when all of these games oh, came out. No. <laughs> so. Well, I should have meant you just had time to play them. <laughs> bringing up bringing up the age thing. This really does feel like feel like the Live Alive podcast with Wes, Tom, and I, where 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 one of these three podcasters is younger than the other two. Oh, well, hearing all of you talk about it, uh, it, I'm I'm hoping that all of these good, you know titles uh, for people like me who were still a baby during that era we're, we're missing out all of these uh, good games so yeah I'm really hoping that if not a remake um, best outcome would be remasters of these yeah all right. Well, Tin, you are the baby of the family <laughs> today I'm afraid but so if we're I, I guess if we're um doing in reverse age order it is your turn to now talk about uh one of the games we have here to discuss today so uh you have a bit of a theme going here so so yeah. which of you which of your capcom duo is coming first uh, uh my first entry would be megaman legends uh actually both of these games that i'm bringing are apart from both coming from capcom both of them are like uh, treated as like an obscure game from their own set of series, like uh, Mega Man Legends is um yeah it was it devi- deviated from the usual Mega Man games and the source material so um it was also a 3D RPG like action ish shooter and it had like um. It was it was mostly focusing on like um, treasure hunting and exploration, and the game also was followed uh, by a sequel, and uh, like after three years, I think. And um, sadly, um, they also announced uh, for uh, Mega Man Legends three, but it was canceled. Which until nowadays, I think a lot of fans are still disappointed by it. Um, a victim of the Mega Man bloodbath. Uh... <laughs> yes, and now that um, Mega Man um, Battle Network is coming out soon, I actually hope that uh, this would that would be like the entry of like uh, remaking and remastering the old Mega Man games, such as this one, because this one was really like original on its own, and I, could, I like nowadays I I also can't think of like a game similar to this identically similar to this so yeah i enjoyed uh this wasn't actually a long uh like a lengthy game as well but it was um it'll it'll depend on how are you gonna play it since uh, it had like multiple difficulties and every time you would clear that difficulty it would unlock something like it will give you a reward it, which actually didn't make sense. Like you start off the game as normal mode, and which would unlock hard mode. And when you finish hard mode, that's the time it would only unlock easy mode. Which I don't know why they designed it that way. <laughs> so, yeah, um, I'm really hoping that this um, 
Mega Man kind of gave would come back in modern platforms. Oh boy, Tin, you're really hitting me where I live here. Uh, as the person <laughs> who has had a Mega Man icon on Twitter for over a decade. Um, uh, first thing, um, I should mention we did episodes on Mega Man Legends and Mega Man Legends 2 in 2018. Uh, unfortunately, I got really, really sick in the middle of recording those. So I, I didn't uh, get to finish that playthrough of Mega Man Legends at the time. and didn't even attempt Mega Man Legends 2. Uh, second of all, Capcom, incredibly not a stranger to uh, releasing game remakes and collections. Um, we've had collections of the first 10 Mega Man games and the eight Mega Man X games and uh, the, the Zero games, um, which, mm -hmm. are, which are their own spinoff in the, in the 2000s. So a uh, so a, some version of a uh, of a remaster or collection of these would be great. There's also a third sequel to them. There was the Adventures of Tron Bon, starring yeah. tr starring Tron, who's one of the one of the villains from Mega Man X. Mm -hmm. uh, sorry, from Mega Man Legends One and Two. She got her own PS One game, uh, and now lives on as being extremely fun to play in uh, in uh, Marvel vs. Capcom Two and Three. Um, but. But yeah, these games, they do a lot of interesting things for a 3D action RPG. Like there's a focus on upgrading yourself and shooting. And also all of the dungeons are sort of physical locations underneath the city part of the game. Mm -hmm. So like, like you'll be in one dungeon and you'll find it how it connects to other dungeons or connects to different manholes or secret passages within the city. So it really does feel like every small place you visit is part of a larger hole in Mega Man Legends in, in a way that I, I thought was really impressive. Um, it, it, uh, it, I, I, I don't know. Like it, uh, it, sometimes some things like Zelda dungeons feel like you're jumping into paintings like Mario 64. Like, like they feel very detached from the world around them. Mm -hmm. But in, in Mega Man Legends, everything is very, very connected. And, uh, you really get to know the city and its weirdos and as, as well as, uh, Mega Man barrel and roll. Who, yeah, they, they, it's not just rock and roll. Now it's rock and roll and barrel and roll. Um, uh, but but like, like so these games are a little weird to control like they have weird um uh turning and yeah. movement mechanics that are a little bit tanky a little bit too resident evil one for the ps1 um mm -hmm. and and uh and, uh, and so if they made if they made movement a little easier and maybe gave you a better strafing option because I, I think you can strafe but it's but it's hard in yeah the, in, in Mega Man legends then like some control refinements and just being able to play it on something more modern than a PS Vita sounds sounds like a great idea to me. Mm -hmm. I kind of hope uh, that um, I can also like play this in um, modern platforms because like you can't really play this anymore apart from having the PS One original. And also, I think the last available system you can play this is on. PS3 because it's on PSN, I think. Yeah, it, it's on PSN as a PS1 classic. So you yeah, can, yeah. Um, all, all three of them are. So you can play them on PS3 or Vita. Uh, but but I think that um, yeah, that that storefront like you can't add money to it or anything. There, it's being phased out. So oh, it, 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 it it might not be obtainable on those anymore either. Hmm. Although although I admittedly do have that's exactly how I have all three of those games. I see. Um, and, but also, Mega Man Legends did have a, P a excuse me, a an N sixty four port called yeah, Mega yeah, Man yeah. sixty four that would that did not play as well as the PS one version. But I don't know, maybe that could appear on Nintendo Switch Online eventually. But that, that's not how you want to play that thing. I feel like Capcom's trying to bury these games. Um, no, 
I don't know. <laughs> I, I agree. It seems like they were so far ahead of their time. Um, and if they were released nowadays, they would be welcomed with open arms, which, you know, is a very good reason why maybe they should get a remake. Um, Welcome with open arm cannons. Maybe I should retire. I think you're, I think that that uh, proves that you're still on your game there. That that joke is on point. Um, he's one of the, the legends is one of the five main uh, main mega men uh, in the Capcom canon, I believe. Uh, at least they're they're the five. He was one of the five who got uh, who got an appearance in Smash. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The oh, there's, there's the main five, character. Hmm. I, I'm sorry. I mean, I, just just in uh, in uh, Mega Man or in Rock's special. Mm-hmm. There's like five. There's the there's the special where the five of them show up and blast. Um, yeah, that got upgraded to seven in in Smash Ultimate. But oh, uh, it did. I didn't yeah. know that. It, 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 they just added Proto Man and base. But no, those, uh, those aren't Mega Men. I mean, they're main yeah, 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 I, I know, but and, 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 well, okay. To get they're not for a blue. Second, to get technical <laughs> for a second, um, the Mega Man of the Legends games is referred to as Rockman Volnut yeah. or Mega Man Volnut, which is uh, you know a, a strange name. And um, he has shown up a couple places, like uh, the Smash games in in Mega Man's um, Ultimate Attack, and he's playable in Tatsunoko versus Capcom, <laughs> which is low key an excellent Wii fighting game. Um, uh, Rolls also in that one as well. But uh, but in general, I mean, I think Jono referred to a uh, Mega Man bloodbath. Um, when when KJ Unifune left the company in 2010, a lot of the projects he was working on were immediately scrapped, including mm-hmm. Mega Man Legends Three. He was mm-hmm. he was also working on an early version of Mega Man Eleven, but Mega Man Eleven underwent multiple versions before finally getting made in oh shoot in in 2018 or maybe maybe early 2019. So there was there was a bit of a Mega Man gap for a while there. Yeah, but when was, uh, when was Universe supposed to be released? I think it was supposed to be early 2010s, but that that one was another one of the Inafuna games that got canceled. Uh, but, but he did um, make those. He did lead the projects for Mega Man Nine and Ten, and he had been uh, on the Mega Man teams dating back to Mega Man Two. He, he's he's sometimes called the creator of Mega Man. That's a little bit misleading. But he's he's probably the single person that's most associated with the older Mega Man games. Don't um, worry, he landed on his feet. Yeah. <laughs> oh boy! Unless <laughs> unless we unless we talk about concept and Mighty Number no. Nine, the better. But uh, but Mega Man is alive and kicking somehow. We got uh, uh, Tian mentioned the Mega Man Legacy Collection. Another one of those collections that we've talked so much about is coming out in April, and we've had uh, multiple Mega Man collections available everywhere. Uh, I, th- I think I have Mega Man Legacy Collection 1 on PS4, 3DS, and Switch. <clears throat> so I have a lot of ways to play Mega Man 2 if I really want to. Oh, and I also have that on the uh, on the uh, the NES Classic. Um, so Capcom is always excited to port their older Mega Man games. Um, Mega Man Legends has somehow not received that same level of enthusiasm. Mm-hmm. It might be because they're salty about Infune. It might be that they're that these are just niche within a niche for Mega Man. But mm-hmm. yeah, I, I would play a remake or a remaster of of Legends for sure, or maybe Tronbon, which I've never, uh, which I have on my PS3, but I've never touched. I, I think I think it, if nothing else, a collection will happen. Like I, I thought, I felt like Battle Network was forgotten for a decade also and that finally happened so what's left there's star force the star and force there's games. this there's star force and there's the legend games and i think that's it for packaging the Mega Man games into collections unless they want to go after fan games 
Well, okay, there, there's Mega Man uh, Extreme 1 and 2 for the Game Boy Color. Oh, that's right, uh, yes. the, 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 the Game Boy, I'm not sure the Game Boy games have ever been put into a collection, even though Mega Man, Mega, Man so 5, damn good. Mega Man 5 mm-hmm. for the Game Boy is, is amazing. And there's the uh, the extremely underrated RPG Mega Man X Command Mission that I almost want a remake more of than, like, maybe all 10 of these games. Oh, I wish I had thought of that ahead of time. Yeah. How can you resist a, gam- a gambling robot named Spider and a nurse robot named Cinnamon? You can't. You can't. <laughs> I, I would also shout out that the Battle Network collection does not include network transmission. Ooh, uh, that's right for the game, the GameCube uh, mm-hmm. uh, connected game. That's right. That, that that's one I've not played because I've I I have only played like thirty minutes of one of the Battle Network games. I'm I'm going to be first in line to pick up that collection when it lands in April. Yep. Okay. Uh. Well, thank you so much, Tin, for letting us revisit the Mega Man Legends games. Uh, some that I have a few regrets about because that just makes me think of that extremely bad stomach virus I had in fall of 2018. <laughs> Whoops. But you know, you know, I'll I'll go next. Uh, let's talk about this second game I brought for RPG fan show and tell. Uh, this is a game that I think, like, if you were around playing Super Nintendo games when this was new, you probably played. But it's so strange that I think it's largely forgotten today. Um, Secret of Evermore for the Super Nintendo was a game. Uh, technically, it's the only game ever made by SquareSoft. Let me explain for a second. Um, the, the, the Japanese company that's been making <laughs> Final Fantasy games for 35 years is Square. And uh, it, starting in the early 90s, they started writing Squaresoft instead of Square on their video games to, to make it sort of their international publishing branch. So there was an office called Squaresoft in the Seattle area, I think maybe Redmond, in, in Washington State in the, in the 1990s that, uh, that produced and, and translated the North American versions of all, all of Square's games, but they made one game themselves. Uh, oh. Secret, Secret of Evermore was made by an American development team for Squaresoft uh, in, I think, 1995 or 1996. Um, it's similar. It, it has a similar sort of action-oriented gameplay um, to Secret of Mana, and maybe they were trying to evoke Secret of Mana a little bit with the title, although they didn't borrow any technology or anything from Secret of Mana. It's a boy and his dog, the boy can use alchemy to cast a lot of spells, and he can use um, swords, axes, and spears for weapons. While the dog is very, very strong and fast, but can only attack and charge and charge attack. He de- he uh, he doesn't have a bunch of spells like the boy does. Um, but uh, basically, a boy falls into a mysterious portal. There's four worlds in these in uh, in the portal: uh, one prehistoric, one classical, one medieval, and one future, where you have to rescue the the four real people that uh, th- that that created the four worlds because the worlds are sort of being taken over by uh, AI and starting to collapse on themselves. Um, But it's a very weird, very fun um, RPG of that era. That is a a rare thing. That's a, 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 like a square published game, not made by square. It didn't even have a Japanese release, but it is one of the most unusual and uh, games of, of this type from this era that I have a lot of fond memories of just because I sort of liked the idea of being a boy and his dog and, you know, fighting the Minotaur in ancient Greece and fighting dinosaurs in the jungle. And then um, somehow Cecil Harvey from Final Fantasy four is an unlicensed cameo in the, in the medieval town area. I I don't, I don't know if they, you know, sent an email to Hironobu Sakaguchi asking if Cecil could be in the game, but there he is. Uh, (laughs) 
and uh and oh no and also your dog transforms depending on which world you're visiting so he's like a big oh. he's yeah uh, so he's like a little terrier at the very mm-hmm. beginning of the game then he's a big shaggy wolf in prehistoria he's a greyhound uh in in classical uh he is a a pink poodle in the medieval game in the medieval setting and here's here's the real exciting bit in the future area your dog becomes a robot toaster dog uh that can shoot late <laughs> that can shoot lasers and that toaster dog is so dope i have written about him in rpg mini features at least twice uh so yeah a secret of evermore american made squaresoft game from the 90s toaster dog they should remake this thing that that's all <laughs> I, I don't even i don't even think this has a, a legal emulated version like they're they have really tried to have everyone else forget this game since its 1995 96 release but uh and that's a shame because really it is weird and interesting I'm not saying it's as good as Secret of Mana or Trials of Mana, but it is. But I, I think more people should play this game, and it needs a modern way to do so. Yeah, it's it's never been re-released, as far as I know. Uh, like I've never actually played Evermore, uh, but I've seen most of the game. I think the, uh, but yeah, I thought this was part of the Mana series for a long time. I thought the series was Secret of Mana and then Secret of Evermore. Uh, like yeah, I thought it was the would... secret of series, not the of Mana series. <laughs> Uh, but those are the only games we had, right? Uh, the first Mana game was Final Fantasy Adventure to the States. And so until Legend of Mana came out, there wasn't another game with Mana in the title. Josh, I have a sinking suspicion that that's exactly what Squaresoft was wanting at the time. I mean, I, I, I was sucked into it, too. I thought it was a, I thought it was a secret. Uh, se- uh, I thought it was the sequel to Secret of Mana at the time. Because it looked, it looked like it. It had the same, it had the same ring uh, menu systems. It was an action RPG. Like it was, and this is not hitting the game because I think it has. I think it's a very good cult classic RPG, um, action RPG. But yeah, it they kind of tried to Trojan horse it into homes by making people think it was a sequel to Secret of Mana. I, I, there's probably a bunch of reasons why uh, why it has been re released. I, I, I think I think Square Enix would love for us to forget this game. Um, but I, I haven't forgotten it. So that's why it's on the list today. And I, and we're talking about it today. I have considered like putting this up for a podcast vote, but there is no good way to legally play it. And that's the reason that it has not had a retro encounter discussion before today. Hmm. Hmm. I mean, there's a lot about, there's a lot about this game. That's easy to love. It's obviously the style toaster dog. Absolutely. Reminds me of canine from Dr. Who. Um, it's, it has a very, b-movie aesthetic and storyline to it. it actually reminds me of kind of a cross between star tropics and uh, uh earthbound in terms of its its general presentation yeah the, the very first scene of the game is you and your dog walking out of a movie theater and talking about like the ridiculous movie you just saw but then you go to the professor's house and accidentally get sucked into his alternate dimension portal that's no spoilers for the first three minutes of secret of evermore as it happens wait is it just the same dog it's the same dog. It is. It oh. is your dog, and he just every time you go to a new land, he transforms into a different dog, into a different form. I see. Sounds like a Rick and Morty scene. You know, Rick, um, <laughs> you're not Secret, wrong. Actually, uh, Secret of Evermore has some Rick and Morty energy. Not going to deny it. Uh, that, oh. That's an, an, another uh, uh, franchise where one of its creators is having a bad time. And that's all we shall say about it. <laughs> <laughs> 
But okay, uh, I mean, I mean, we know that Justin Roiland has had a lot of fallout from his recent activity uh, <laughs> in in the real world. So, Jono, <laughs> let's let's talk about a different kind of Fallout. How about it? Uh, yes, sure. Uh, so, Fallout, a post-nuclear role-playing game. Um, so, I would argue that most people nowadays, uh, if they're you know modern gamers, they know Fallout very well. Fallout Three, Fallout New Vegas, Fallout Four, to a lesser extent, Fallout Seventy Six uh, from Bethesda uh, are hit uh, FPS RPGs. Uh, focused around player choice, lots of morally ambiguous, uh, open-ended side quests and storylines. And uh, I just adore Fallout as a series. Uh, nothing gives me quite as much joy as exploring a world in Fallout. In fact, I rag on Fallout 76, but one of the things that Fallout 76 really got right was their world, the scale of it. And it never gets tired just to see like, a little icon on the horizon and like approach it and discover a new place. Um, it just gives you that little dopamine rush every single time it happens. I adore these games. A few years ago, I was like, okay, time to play the first two. So I started up Fallout and I quickly ran into a hard brick wall, uh, which is Fallout is a turn-based isometric RPG that was released in 1997. Um, and at the time, it was considered to be uh, a massive, a massive hit, uh, one of the best RPGs of that year, and it's still held in very high regard today. I could not get into it. I just couldn't, and I really, really want to. Um, and that's one of the reasons I think that this is due for a really good remaster or even remake. I mean, it will never be remade because Bethesda has a a very tight grip on the Fallout series, and I don't think that they are going to allow a the original Fallout to be remade into an FPS version by anyone but themselves. Um, however, I think this game is prime for a, a good, a solid remaster with some quality of life improvements. I think it would sell like gangbusters just based on the on the IP. Uh, they could do a classic uh, box set with Fallout and Fallout Two. I mean, both of them pretty much use the same graphics uh the same engine so you know again not trying to minimize the amount of work that goes into these things but a lot of the work would be done for the sequel if they completed the first game and remastered it um yeah what's amazing about the fallout series and how bethesda adapted it is almost everything you can think of in fallout 3 is here in its original form in fallout to uh, the VAT system, obviously, is is their attempt to uh, translate a turn-based system into uh, a first-person shooter, which works really, really well. But the turn-based VAT system is here. Skills are here. The morally ambiguous side quests are here. You have companions. Dogmeat is here. The Brotherhood of Steel is here. All of the vaults and their experiments and vault tech are here. Like every, it's the world that they created. Uh, Tim Kane and Chris Jones, I think. I think that's. I think they're the ones. No, Tim Kane. Yeah, Tim Kane was the producer. I'm just looking here. Um, the world that they created is astounding. It's detailed. It's textured. Uh, and I think that they should remake this game or remaster this game. I think it would be a big hit, and I know I would play it. Uh, Fallout is one noticeable gap in my RPG resume. Um, the one I played the most of by far was Fallout 3, but I had multiple friends extremely into the first two Fallout games while I was avoiding PC RPGs, and I didn't really have a good computer for playing 
PC games until, oh boy, until I was in my mid twenties, I think. Like Fallout has, uh, is has become so popular, and its themes and writing and ideas have resonated with so many people that I, I think a good remake of Fallout One, maybe slap on a a subtitle like 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 Fallout the Beginning or Fallout Origins, and like that would do really really well. I have no doubt at all. Uh, and, um, and and yeah, like like uh, I I don't want to say that Fallout games have become samey. Because they sort they're sort of all about their specific settings and their specific writing, but I, I think a lot of modern fans that have not played a Fallout game before three would really really enjoy seeing sort of like how the series got started out. I, I have no doubt about that at all. But I, I mean, why Bethesda hasn't done it? it? Maybe it's a big it's too expensive a project. Maybe they don't want to draw attention to any of the pre Bethesda Fallout games. Might be a rights issue too, because Interplay yeah, were there. Interplay were the developers mm. and publishers of uh, Fallout 1 and 2, and also uh, a tactical RPG called Brotherhood of Steel. Um, so yeah, it, there might be rights issues, but somebody's got to hold the rights. Yeah, I'm looking to see who's the uh, who's the publisher of the Fallout 1 Steam version. Because that's, I, I know that they're on Steam. Um, yeah, published by Bethesda Softworks. Hmm. So so they, they're, Bethesda's at least allowed to publish these older games. Um uh and but but the the remake is a is a bare bones emulated remake and not a and not a you know not not the fully dressed um like modern standards remake that i think you're hoping for yeah i want an hd remaster with some quality of life improvements that's what i want and i mean to be honest again i would not mind getting a full a new full-fledged fps uh follow game but you know i'll take what i can get well, it wouldn't appear on PS4 or PS5 or Switch based on because of who owns Bethesda nowadays. Very but, true. But uh, yeah, I, I would. I mean, I, I'm not sure how close I am to going back to a, another Fallout, Fallout game because I, I don't have a lot of attachment to CRPGs of that era, and I uh, I, I avoid most shooting games not named Mass Effect or uh, Far <laughs> Cry Three. But, but I, I would I I would be very interested to see if something like this would re, would surface. Yeah, and I mean if if you are a fan, if anyone listened to this is a fan of the original Fallout and you don't know, uh, there are spiritual sequels to uh, the isometric Fallout games in Wasteland Two and Wasteland Three, which is a which are sequels to Wasteland, which was the Fallout was the spiritual successor of Wasteland, but then they continued the <laughs> Wasteland series. And it's a very similar setup. It's the future post-apocalyptic after, uh, uh, so after the bombs fell, um, yeah. So there's there's lots of games that will that will properly scratch that itch. I just think that this is the original that started off Fallout, and it probably should be celebrated more than it is. Well, I know that uh, RPG fan is sometimes even called JRPG fan because of how we lean a certain way with a lot of our coverage. So I'm I'm not hopeful uh, for a response to this, but Audra, Josh, or Tin, have you played? Have any of you played the original Fallout? Nope, unfortunately, no. I have seen a significant amount of it, but it's another one I've not played myself. Yeah, no, that sounds similar to me, Josh. I I, I have seen a few specific friends play this at their home during things like sleepovers uh, multiple times. Uh, many many moons ago but i have never really made a sincere attempt at playing fallout one myself 
I mean, honestly, I just brought this on to have another chance to rag on Fallout 76 again, to be honest, to be completely honest. <sighs> it's, it's my brand. Ragging on Fallout 76 and, Yaku- and loving Yakuza. That's I, I wish there was a better video game that could attach itself to John Denver's Take Me Home Country Roads. But, but, but alas, <laughs> all, we, all we got is Fallout 76. Apparently it's very good now. And I've replayed, I've, I've, I've started it up again uh, years later when they added NPCs and it improves the game immeasurably. If it was released in this state, it, I think it would have been a hit. But it wasn't released in this state, and there's the problem. One later patch um, added vending machines to Fallout 76 that you could program and make yourself, and that almost got me to play Fallout 76, which I, which I agree is a very stupid reason. But there, there, there we go. Fallout 76, uh, <laughs> an, an ongoing like slight eye roll of a game nowadays, but that that's better in, now than it was when you first reviewed it, Chano. Oh, it was a complete train wreck, and surprisingly, the train kept chugging along past the wreck, and it's it's going slow, but it's further along than it was when, you know, they released it. Um, and there's but, a lot of really, I, I know I rag on it, there's a lot of really, really good stuff in Fallout 76, including the world, uh, and a lot of the lore. Uh, Bethesda does lore really well, which excites me for uh, their upcoming game, uh, Starfield, but hey. But, you know, Fallout 76 is a game that has gotten better as more was added to it and it and it had re-releases. But there's one game I'm thinking of specifically that got significantly worse with its uh, subsequent re-release. Uh, Josh, let's talk about Lufia 2, one of my favorite Super Nintendo RPGs and one of my least favorite DS RPGs. <laughs> uh yeah, so uh, Lufia 2 Rise of the Sinistrals is also one of my favorite. Uh, I would put it still in like my top 10 or 15 games of all time at this point. Uh, like it's been a favorite since I was a kid. Uh, so this is a uh, a turn-based RPG, not very remarkable uh, at a glance, uh, but then it adds in uh, Zelda-style puzzles uh, and like, and actually some really challenging puzzles Uh and like dungeon crawling, you might even call it uh, just like much bigger. I feel like they're much bigger stages than you would get from like even like Final Fantasy six or Chrono Trigger. Uh, they just feel more involved, very puzzle heavy towers that you have to uh, traverse through. Uh, and so they give you arrows and bombs and a hook shot. Uh, like they give you the whole toolkit. Uh, but then you also have uh, turn-based battles, which are not random. Uh, you can actually stun the enemies in the overworld and try to avoid them. Uh, but uh, as Mike said, there was a remake for the DS that unfortunately stripped away basically all of the things that made the original one good. Uh, it only kept the main cast and basic scenario. Um I don't even remember exactly if the scenario, I feel like they didn't even have all of the initials in that game, uh, but they turned it into kind of a hack and slash uh, action RPG. Uh, I would even like say like it, it, a really bad East clone. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I'm, I'm not going to disagree with you there. Sure. So I mean, he has red hair. <laughs> oh, so, so i don't know i don't think he has a full name but I, from now on i'm gonna call him maxim the red <laughs> uh, but no, i i would love to see a more faithful remake 
uh, of the game. Like again, like uh, I would say the pixel art in this game, like in in battles, the pixel art is really great. The overworld pixel art is primitive. Um, so I mean, I I could I could do with a glow up or some graphics on it. Um, but I'd love to. I want the puzzles back. That's the big part. Like the action RPG part wouldn't have bothered me so much if I still got the puzzles, but they stripped away all of it. That sucks. Yeah, that's questionable. I could talk about Lufia 2 a lot. Um, we did do two episodes on Lufia 2 uh, several years ago. Um, uh, one of my favorite RPG fan people in the world, Leona McCallum, uh, was, uh, um, hosted those episodes. Uh, but I, but I wasn't on them because I slightly dreaded doing these puzzles again. These are Lufia Two, is a bit of a dungeon town, dungeon town, dungeon town game. But there's like twenty of them, and the puzzles get harder with each dungeon, and eventually become pull out your hair, um, uh, like game facts open in one window kind of hard. And yeah. um, and and I I had this conversation, it was either with Zach West or both. But both Zach and Wes are colorblind, and some of these puzzles are impossible if you're colorblind, because there there's some that are around pushing red and yellow blocks, and and others that you know have a lot of visual cues that are very challenging if you're colorblind. But like things like just making it available on modern systems and keeping the turn-based gameplay and the puzzles and dungeons intact for a modern system would be extremely welcome. I totally agree with you there. And 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 Josh has been talking about this game a lot, but he didn't. Uh, get into all of the stuff. This game has a an optional randomized super dungeon called the Ancient Cave. That's one of the best optional dungeons in history. It's like you um, you you start at level one, you collect scads and scads of treasure, but the only treasure you can keep after you die or finish is are are the rare items. So you can use that to get super ultra rare items way earlier in the game, or you can. Uh, the ancient cave is great but but also there's a monster catching and growing system you there's a you have, you have four main human characters at once but you can recruit eight monsters that are sort of your fifth party member and by feeding them loot and growing and evolving them their their moves change uh i mentioned the ancient cave already uh, the, the the gameplay has sort of attacks and physical attacks and magic spells but also super moves attached to your weapons mm-hmm. so like equipping like hanging on to old weapons with really good super moves is uh is a choice that you make in this game. Um, there's, I think, around eight playable characters, but they they come and go in your party, so you'll always have the uh, a set party member for the final boss. But like, it's a really good idea to hit the ancient cave in the middle of the game because that's when you have your your two best physical characters. And the ancient cave, uh, you you want more tanks in your party if possible. Um, yeah, it's interesting. You you brought up the. Uh the item abilities right because it's like it's not even just weapons right all of your armor like you just get a new hat and your hat has some crazy offensive ability tied to it or a shield spell or a healing spell like and and you just get that and then it's like well this new armor has better stats but i lose that ability do i want to trade or not (laughs) uh and again, this, this game has like twenty dungeons in it, so you're fighting, you're finding new armor and weapons, and and also things like shops. You're finding new armor and weapons all the time, and the the best way to evolve and grow your monster companions is feeding them old armor and weapons. So like like, do you sell this? Do you feed it, or do you hang on to it because it has a good ability on it? Is a choice you're making all the time in Lufia too. This is a 
a good shockingly deep um jrpg from sort of late era super nintendo and and one thing that i always thought was interesting um i uh you know just checking things like game facts forums and uh uh uh, from the from the early 2000s this game is unusually beloved in europe because it was released worldwide in multiple languages including places like uh like like germany and the netherlands and belgium uh when when square games were not the first uh the first final fantasy game released in europe was final fantasy 7 so a lot of people that had super nintendos in places like the netherlands like this was one of the few rpgs they had so i remember ages ages ago when they were like announcing the top 10 favorite games by every country community on GameFAQs, Lufia 2 was number one in, in I, I think either, I think it was like number one in Denmark and number two in the Netherlands or something crazy. So, so like um, Lufia 2 has an unusually uh, dedicated audience in Europe that I always thought was, a, was fascinating because, because this was a prominent RPG when Europe barely got any JRPGs in the nineties, which is, I, I find fascinating, but Lufia 2 is so good, it's deserving. And um, I, I should mention, I, I played this game on the Super Nintendo uh, almost identically to uh, Illusion of Gaia. I played this once on the Super Nintendo and then once emulated later. I never finished it on the Super Nintendo because it's just long and challenging. And I, I, and I, but I beat it in the early 2000s sometimes. I wept at the ending of this game because it has a very beautifully tragic ending. I'm not, I don't want to spoil anything. But it is sad, and I cried when I was a teenager. I think you mean that you cried at the beginning of Lufia One. Also correct, <laughs> but uh, but Lufia One is clunky and poorly written, while Lufia Two is a masterpiece. So, like, I, I know which of those two games I recommend to everyone. I uh, I have a fondness for Lufia One. I love Lufia One. I know it's clunky as hell. But the opening is one of the best openings on the Super Nintendo. It's an exceptionally good opening. It was so good, in fact, that they decided, hey, let's make this into its own game. Um, which, you're right, is a far superior game. Lufia 2 is tremendous. Uh, it's a real shame that they haven't... Who owns it now, I wonder? I don't know. <laughs> uh, Neverland was the publisher of Lufia 2 and Lufia 1. Um but like this is a gold mine of an IP and the follow-ups for uh, there was a Game Boy Color game and there was a advanced game or was it a DS game? It was a DS game, wasn't it? There's a there's a Game Boy game, a Game Boy Color game, that is and a Game Boy Advance game. And then the Lufia 2 remake is a DS game. Yeah, I think it's a gold mine of an IP and it's a shame they haven't done anything else with it since then. Uh, because it's it's really, really good. It's such a unique mix of mechanics that creates a very uh, a stand a standalone game. Well, it's not a standalone game, but it's a game that stands apart from other SNES RPGs. Okay, well, looking at who made this game, it was developed by Neverland, but when Neverland went out of business, a lot of those employees went to Marvelous. But the publisher of the last two Lufia games for the Game Boy Advance and DS was Square Enix. So they probably have that IP deep in their library somewhere. Um, it was published by Natsume in North America, Square Enix in Japan. So it looks like Square Enix probably holds the rights to Lufia, um, but I cannot say that with 100% certainty. I'm just looking at their most recent releases in the Lufia series. So yeah, Square Enix, you're remaking everything else. Uh, how about look at Lufia 2 again? <laughs> and do it right this time. <laughs> Oh boy, uh, let's talk about some RPGs that were maybe overshadowed a little bit by their sequels. Um, Audra, 
I have never played a Growlancer game, but I uh, I am aware I've been aware of them since two and three got remade on the PS2. But that's that's the PS2 one. Um, uh, let's talk about Growlancer. Uh, okay. This is a this is a strategy RPG for the PS1? Question mark. Yes, it's a strategy RPG for the PS1 that they actually did a port over to the P- PSP eventually with some added extras like PSP new had a lot of those. Yeah, yeah. that makes sense. And I've played some of the PSP import for it because I fell in love with the series after playing Girlands Girlands are 2 and 3 on the PS2. Right, that was the um Growlands Regenerations was the collection of Growlands yeah. 2 and 3. I think that was maybe the last game Working Designs published or at least one of the very late ones they published. But um uh, but 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 those ha- those are um um uh those have are sort of a cult a cult popular game like people really like growlands or two and three but i know nothing about growlands or one and only slightly more about its sequels oh well it's actually um growlands or two is basically an epilogue side story to it and growlands or three is more or less like a prequel set far in the past of the storyline and then i believe growlands or four which came out on the psp is wayfarer of time is um its own thing and the less that's known about heritage of war the better (laughs) that one's not too good (laughs) but um the original girl answer it's a very choice heavy srpg and i kind of just i love the gameplay of it and how it's a gridless srpg so it's kind of a little different from the norm it's not quite as like Final Fantasy Tactics or Tactics Ogre in terms of how the battles are presented. And I kind of just love how much choice you get. And there's even like a little town building mechanic in the first game. I'd be more happy with just a glow up remaster, actually. Of, of that PSP version? Yes. Just it kind of I got the idea when um, Landgresser 1 and 2 came out. Yeah, un- unfairly, I mix up Growlanzer and Landgrisser a lot. <laughs> they <laughs> I, do have similar I, names. I, I think I've mixed them up on a podcast even sometime in the past two years. Because I, I, um, I know that uh, Noriyuki Iwadare does the music for a lot of the Growlanzer games. Did, did you bring over um, one track from Growlanzer or, or was that Landgrisser in the Square Dance episode? Landgrisser. Oh, damn it. Ah, okay. <laughs> All right. Day, I, now I have to cr- uh, change my days missed since uh, days since I mixed up Growlanzer and Langrisser from <laughs> from 300 down to zero again. Great. It's funny because I, I was mixing these up too. I saw this on the list and I was like, didn't this just get a remake? And uh, that was yeah. Langrisser. Langrisser. <laughs> it does have the same character designer, which is. And the same composer. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I just would love like a hd 2.5 d remaster of it it's just updating the pixels and the art it's a really good solid srpg that i think would do really well could do really well depending considering how srpgs are kind of seeming like they're getting into a heyday again well i mean every every, i mean strategy rpgs uh have a lot of fans and and those fans like probably aren't as huge an audience as a more traditional big budget RPG, 
but when a good one comes out, uh, like, like people will find it and buy it. Like the, uh, I mean, the the Fire Emblem games have an incredibly dedicated fan base. Uh, the, mm-hmm. I, I think the Tactics Ogre remake from last year did really, really well. Um, it, it, I think everyone an RPG fan and most of our audience would lose their collective minds if a certain Final Fantasy strategy game uh, were to receive a modern re-release. Yes. Uh, but the, but um, Growlanzer is exactly that niche. And like I, I bet if it had a modern remake and that remake had some positive buzz and positive reviews, people would flock to it because it's a kind of game that a lot of people love. But it's not as... You know, it, it, there there aren't a million of them. There's just there, there's a bunch, but but people yeah. like they 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 aren't making as many of them as they were in say the 2000s when when Nipponichi was making like a new Disgaea or Makai Kingdom every two years. Yeah, sadly, I think the last one was the PSP version of Wayfarer of Time, which is the fourth game, and that one was. It's actually, it's considered between Girl Answer 1 and Girl Answer 4 as which one's the best of the Girl Answer games in yeah, the I, fandom. I so. know that, uh, yeah, I think my understanding was that the first four are good and the fifth one is terrible and, and may have killed off the series, was my understanding. Yeah, they but made I, a sixth game afterwards, but I don't think it ever caught on. Oh, okay, yeah, I, I only know of, uh, of I, yeah, and confusingly, I think, I think like, Oh shoot! Is five gener? There's two games named Generations. It's a Tales of Destiny two situation. We don't need to get into it, but uh, yeah, like like these games are beloved by a small niche. But um, a remake of any of them, maybe the first one first, uh, mm-hmm. I think I think could be really cool. Yeah, and because Gremlins are two is connected to it as well, you could almost tag them on together as their own collection. Yeah, like, I mean, shoot, maybe release all of them in the collection, although that would probably require thousands of hours of work by translators. They are very text-heavy. And from the sounds of it, you could probably skip Heritage of War. Yes. Is that is that <laughs> the fifth one that everyone hates? Yes. Okay, I thought so, right. Oh, boy. I'm not, oh, boy. I'm, I'm not only mixing up Growlanzer and Langrisser, I can't keep their subtitles straight either. <laughs> um, but uh, Jono, Josh, or Tin, have any of you guys, uh, do any of you have Growlanzer experience? No, but I read here that RPG Fan gave Growlander an 83 out of 100 on Wikipedia. I was just looking at that as well. <laughs> it's really good even in the import form. I'm using a script translation for it, and I'm just having a blast, even though it's taking me forever to get through it. So I just like it more available. I also have not played it. It's another one that I'm just aware of. Oh yeah, I mean, I mean, just being in this fandom for decades, you, you, there's so many games you hear about but will never play because our, our the games we love are time consuming and not all of them receive uh, releases in the in a language you speak. <laughs> yes, sadly, so many games, not enough time. Too many mm-hmm. games, not enough time. But uh, uh, Tin, let's go back to. Um, I've never played a Growlanzer game, but let's talk about a, a series that I've played a bunch of. Um, uh, the last game we're talking about today before we move into the housekeeping phase is Breath of Fire Dragon Quarter, the fifth and last dra- uh, Breath of Fire game, because I refuse to acknowledge the mobile release of Breath of Fire 6. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, this the game that uh, I actually really, really want to have a remake. Um... It's the opposite from Audra's description of um, this was like this was a sequel that 
did not really overshadow the original, but instead it received a lot of critics from the fan base over the years. But like going back to it, like when the first, when first, I, I, I would have to admit that the first time I played this game, I did not like it because it's not what I expected from the usual Breath of Fire series. But picking up the game again, like few years after, I was wrong. Like I, I realized that it was great on its own, and like maybe if it wasn't named um, under Breath of Fire and it was just like a different title, maybe, maybe it was like the reception of the people, maybe was different. Um, yeah, yeah if it, but if this... it was just called Dragon Quarter instead of Breath yeah, of Fire yeah, Five Dragon exactly. Quarter, maybe that would have helped it a little bit. Yeah. So. This is the last, yeah. Um, I also considered this is the last Breath of Fire game, and <laughs> um, I, I, I think Breath of Fire Six, like like a lot of mobile games that aren't huge successes, die off after about a year. But the fact that yeah. Capcom made one of those and called it Breath of Fire Six is an insult. <laughs> yeah, it, I know. it won't be acknowledged if they release a new Breath of Fire game, like a big one. It's going to be called Breath of Fire Six. No, I think yeah. they're probably just gonna just gonna drop the numbers and give it a subtitle. Yeah, the transition was it's, it's just not so good. <laughs> I, I mean, look, uh, I, the I mean, depending on how you count them, the, the the seventh God of War game is technically called God of War. So eh. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes um, video game numbering systems don't make sense. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, for those who are not familiar, um, this was like a it was it had a different theme compared to old Breath of Fire titles, because this one was like a survival horror JRPG, because the setting was really dark and gloomy. It was in like an industrial wasteland underground thing. And uh, recently, like having to play Hades, which is like widely available in this new generation already, I just realized that Hades seems uh she has the same theme as this game. Yeah, the, we're, we're we're dancing around it a little bit. Um, uh, Breath of Fire one through four are traditional turn-based JRPGs, mm-hmm. linear stories. Breath of Fire five is a dungeon crawler roguelike. Yeah, um, yeah. that has uh like a Hades or or maybe even a uh, oh what's another roguelike RPG? Uh, maybe even a a Spelunky or a uh, Rogue Legacy. Um, that has you know you have a party of characters and and uh, and RPG combat, but it is a single dungeon roguelike in a setting that feels pretty different from the other Breath of Fire games. And uh, and th- this did have a negative reception right when it came out, but over the years, um, I-, I would agree with you, Tin. It's 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 not hated. It's just very divisive. Mm-hmm. A lot of a lot of people think it's the worst Fire Emblem game, but just as many think it's the best one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it had that same theme of like escaping from hell because the story, like the main character and the party, like you start, they live in a society where like their lives were determined already as soon as like, you, you like, um, they have this like ranking system. So the lower rank you are, that's where you're like gonna be stationed at the very bottom of the area. So, yeah, the main theme of the game is just like this. The plot is just getting like 
getting out of hell and seeing this guy. <laughs> it also shared the same like uh, characters um, from old Breath of Fire games. Yep, you, you uh, have with... a you have a, a boy named Ryu and a girl named Nina. Yeah, which yeah. Is the, the 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 starting point of every fire of every whoops of every Breath of Fire game. Mm-hmm. So I guess that's the only thing that they got similar to the old Breath of Fire titles. But yeah, I the second time I played this, I just realized like how great it was because it was like during that time it was like the I don't know Dark Souls, Demon Souls of JRPG, I'd say because it had <laughs> that kind of difficulty that the game was designed for you to just die in the first try and like you just have to do it again and try to figure it out again and uh it had that um a battle system which was they call it like uh they name it pets so it's like a positive they called it as like a positive encounter and somewhat like tactic system because like apart from having a turn-based combat there was just there was also a mixed bag of uh rts on it so yeah i i like how that was like very fitting in the story of the game and um uh i i do like challenging games so the director of this game also like admittedly say that um he thinks that the old breath of fire titles were too easy so having to design this um he he just scrapped all of those things that they used to do and just made it really difficult so yeah, that's probably why a lot of the fan base didn't really like it. But I'd, I don't know. I uh, like bringing this now in modern platforms. I think it would really do well because it has the same theme as big titles that share the similar concept and theme, such as Hades, Nier, and all that kind of games nowadays. So yeah. Yeah, uh, rogue uh, roguelike games have a much stronger audience now than they did in the PS2 era, mm-hmm. and uh, and the fact that this game was so different from the other Fi- Breath of Fire games, and and you know being what it was, did it give it a negative reception, which both of us have mentioned already. But I I think that time has been kind to Breath of Fire Five, so uh, a some kind of remake or ma- being made available would help it. I'm not sure. If the PS2 version was ever made available on the PS3 or PS4 no. as, a, as a classic lineup, it wasn't okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so the, yeah, that, that also hurts it a little bit if it hasn't been available since its original PS2 copy. Because I, I know mm-hmm. I for sure uh, never was able to get it on PS3 or PS4. But uh, this is one of the Breath of Fire games I haven't played. I've I, I've played um, th- I've played all of the first four, but only finished uh, two and four. I'm not not really sure why those are the two I landed on. Um, but they it started out as like being co-published with Square, uh, but then they sort of it, it became sort of Capcom only by the end. Uh, a lot of colorful characters and designs and different um, races of anthropomorphic animal people uh, is is sort of the the vibe of them. But but Breath of Fire Five changed that vibe and it was probably not a, a great vibe for two thousand three or whenever it came out. But would do very much better with a modern audience. I totally agree, uh, Tian. But I unfortunately I haven't really played uh, Dragon Quarter, but it has shown up a lot on rpg fan excuse me on uh retro encounters ideas board because there are some big dragon quarter fans in rpg fans uh uh staff and former staff like i I know that um 
that Rob Fenner wanted us to do a, a Dragon Quarter episode for a while, and and Steph loves Dragon uh, loves Dragon Quarter as well. Uh, um, mm-hmm. But uh, th- that's my experience with it. Uh, Jono, Audra, or Josh, have any of you guys played Breath of Fire Dragon Quarter? I have not, unfortunately. It's another one I want to play at some point. <laughs> yeah, I actually had no idea that this game was a roguelike. Uh, so I've played, I've also never finished any of the games in the series. I played one and three a lot as a kid. Yeah, they're long involved RPGs. They're they're not just like a 15 hour breeze. And mm-hmm. and, and and Dragon Quarter is also shorter than the other games, but uh, but it's, it's predicated on you dying a lot until you figure it out. Yeah, it's uh, interesting uh, <laughs> saying that the developers thought the other games were too easy because yeah. I could they're, never they're, get they're past good. them as a kid. <laughs> they're, they're grindy and above average in difficulty. I, at least mm. in my memory, at least in my memory of Breath of Fire two and four, the the two that I played the most of by far. I uh, actually, if they're gonna remake this or remaster it, my only concern would be if they could just remove the save token oh, thing, right. because you can't save the game without having the token, similar to re the old re games. So, yeah. Uh, in this at this age i i can't really do that anymore <laughs> yeah they, they punish you for saving often yeah yeah, they, yeah. That, that's sort of like the sega cd uh the sega cd versions of one of the old lunar games that, that that's a little that's a little bit too anti-player i think there, there's ways to have difficulty uh to increase difficulty that's that's more fair to the player than saving than punishing saving often mm-hmm I've only ever played uh, Breath of Fire 1 and 2. I don't know why the series has never really caught my attention beyond that. Um, on the other hand, I do love roguelikes, so... Hmm. If you <laughs> did get a remake or a remaster. Yeah, I t- totally agree. Like, I've never really given Breath of Fire Dragon Quarter a fair shot, although I've heard a lo- quite a lot about it over the years. And uh, if a remake that was a little cleaner and let you save more often came out i i think i would pick that up because that would be the right opportunity i'm i'm way less likely to to ebay a ps2 copy and try to play it nowadays because as we mentioned before uh there are just too many video games um and another thing we mentioned before calling something the dark souls of blank is that, that, uh tin that's a little that's a little bit more random encounter than retro encounter but i'm not gonna but i i'm not gonna deny it there that this is probably the dark souls of breath of fire games uh which i, I don't think anyone that is aware enough to understand that would disagree but you know um we've covered 10 uh or technically 11 excellent video games um over the past hour plus i, I say 11 because i mean the oracle duo is two games john you, you understand um yeah. but uh you know I, I i didn't say this at the beginning but um before we recorded uh this is i'm gonna talk to you the listeners not you the panelists uh before we recorded i specifically said you know i i uh i don't want us to talk about games we've already done in 2023 for the podcast so uh nothing from the um uh games you've played over and over episode uh no ogre battle 64 no star tropics uh and so i i decided to do that just there was just that there wasn't too much repeated content on the podcast but before we go into housekeeping I lied to y'all. Uh, before we sign off, I'm going to ask you each a specific uh, question. Um, what is one thing you would like to see in a remake of one of these games? I'm going to go down the line in alphabetical order. Uh, starting with you, Audra, what's one thing you would like to see in a Final Fantasy Tactics remake? Probably just kind of maybe some new job classes just to experiment with. 
All right, that sounds good. More than just the Onion Knight and Dark Knight we got in the PSP version. I like that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Jono, what's one thing you would like to see in a Star Tropics remake? Rhythm-based mechanics. Sure. Uh, we we talk about this in the episode where the uh, the movement style in the original Star Tropics is very uh, it's on a grid and it's very rhythm based like you have to move 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 and I, it suddenly occurred to me that wow this would be a really good match for a style of gameplay a lot like uh, Crypt of the Necro Dancer. Awesome. I, I I wish I knew more about Star Tropics to properly understand the how that would work. Although I do like Crypt of the Necro Necro Dancer, a game that is very very challenging for uh for me so i haven't gotten super far but yeah star tropics with 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 rhythm based tapping i'm into it also i mean you got do 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 that theme song is just made for movement <laughs> and uh josh here's the question that you were made for um what is one change or one thing you'd like to see in a nice shiny remake of ogre battle 64 person of lordly caliber uh something that would make you happy actually uh, cleaning up the hidden and confusing mechanics. Uh, there's just too many things in the game that are difficult to understand without playing a lot or reading guides. Uh, I, I just even want, just, I just the... want a, a number next to a little sign that <laughs> well, says chaos frame exactly. in, in a, in a menu. That's not, a, 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 is that's not hard to find. And, and that's, there's no menu for that. Like for chaos frame at all, that's your in-game reputation. Uh, it's a hidden value you'd only see after the credits roll. Uh, character's alignment is depicted with a little picture uh, that is difficult to understand. How it changes is difficult to understand. So they need to clean up some of that. That's the game's biggest problem by far. Sounds good to me. Now, Tin, you probably see this coming. What is one thing you would like to see in a modern remake or remaster of Dark Cloud 2? Mm, probably a better gear and party system. Like the uh, Dark Cloud lacked um, the ability to like change weapons. Like playing as Max, you're locked to using wrench forever. So yeah, probably more customizations with gears. Excellent. And uh, I'm going to answer my own question here. Um, uh, the Dragon Age trilogy is uh, uh, three games that I really, really like, even the second one. But if we got a modern remake of Dragon Age Origins or or all of them, I think what I want the most is uh, just a little bit tighter movement um, for when you're controlling, when you're pausing and controlling battle in Dragon Age Origins, because it's a little bit too easy to be caught in a uh, to caught in a back attack and have your mage die too fast, like like. Uh, Basically, I want a console version of Dragon Age Origins that plays a little bit more like the pause re, uh, reshuffle gameplay of the PC version. But but more than more than that, I just want a remake of the whole trilogy that lets you carry progress and information between the games without having to resort to a dead website from 2011. I do too, because then it means we could do a uh, a Dragon Age month like we did the Mass Effect month. I would not be against that, but I, I can't confirm or deny doing that until such a thing exists or, or is at least announced. But mm. uh, all right, if we're talking about future episodes of Retro Encounter for games that don't exist, let's instead change gears and talk about future episodes of Retro Encounter for games that do exist. But before that, I got to say thank you. Uh, thank you so much, Tin, Josh, Jono, and Audra for recording this, um, this double-wide episode of uh, Retro Encounter with me. I mean, like games that we wish got remade is something we talk about in unrelated episodes all the time anyway. So it felt like a natural, uh, a, a natural 
uh, what's the word I'm looking for? A, uh, a, a, a evolution. Me. Yeah, well, um, it felt like a natural progression to an episode in its own right. So I'm glad we finally got around to doing that. But but also thank you, listeners, for putting up with us for so long, uh, talking wistfully about uh, Super Nintendo games that uh, were never released in Japan, or Super Nintendo games that were never released in America, or Super Nintendo games that were only released in Europe. They, we're all over the place in this episode, but uh, I um, we're. We're all over the place today, but we know exactly what's going on the rest of this month. We're doing a dedicated episode on Persona 4 very soon and having a very special guest for that episode. Alex from the Backlog Battle YouTube and podcast series is going to um, talk about um, the recent remake of, of Persona 4, one of uh, their favorite games and also one of my favorite games. Uh, we did a Persona 4 episode in 2016 or 2017, many, many years ago. So I think it's been long enough that we can uh, talk about Persona 4 again. But also later in March, we're doing two episodes on Like a Dragon Ishin, a game that uh, Jono is currently playing, and I uh, cannot wait to start playing because we are recording this episode before February 21st when that game releases worldwide. Uh, no spoilers, but I have a feeling you're going to have a good time. I have a feeling you're right because, I, I, I mean, even when I go in with some expectations into a Like a Dragon game, it becomes my obsession of the month. And I cannot wait to get started on that game uh, in um, in a few days. But uh, we also have parts of um, April planned um, planned out. We're doing an episode on fan translations. Uh, maybe some tales of games might come up in that episode. We're doing an episode on Dragon Quest that I'm still in the planning scheduling phase of doing. And two episodes on Lost Odyssey, which won a poll for uh, for our ep- for our um, episode 350, um, and it was going to come up in January or February, but there was a lot of scheduling problems, so it's in the, it's ended up being our April episode. So in March we have Persona Four and yet like a Dragon Machine, and in April we have fan translations, Dragon Quest, and Lost Odyssey. But if you want to email us about the games you wish were uh, most would get the next big remake or dragon age or dragon quest or like a dragon or dragon anything else the best way to reach us is to email retro at rpgfan.com you can also find rpg fan on facebook twitter instagram discord youtube or twitch we are always either rpg fan or rpg fancom on those places something going on every day there uh we also have a rpgfan.com slash shop which is a uh a store hosted by t public where you can find RPG fan merchandise like uh, phone covers, cups, apparel, uh, pins, and all manner of other things. It's a great way to support the website and what we do. There's also two other fine podcasts hosted by RPG fan, Random Encounter every two weeks about randomness, mostly hosted by you, Jono. Absolutely. And it was, uh, I think by the time this episode airs, the last episode will have been focused on uh, actually Sheen and also Octopath Traveler 2. Ooh, excellent. Those are two games coming out in late February that I... I already have pre-ordered because I am a sheep and not a border collie. Uh, there's <laughs> there's also Rhythm Encounter. Uh, every other two weeks, our uh, podcast focused on RPG music. And I hosted an episode of Rhythm Encounter earlier in February. And Jono, you're hosting an episode of Rhythm Encounter in March. I am, yes. And uh, let's just say that the episode of Rhythm Encounter is going with a theme of my interests that I've t- been talking about the last uh, five minutes. Oh, you don't say. Hmm. Yes, there's going to there's going to be a lot of judgment happening in it. It's going to be a 24-hour episode. I um, think it might be my destiny to appear on that episode and fly uh, away with um getting excited about music. Oh yes, and so much more. 
<laughs> can you handle it? But any, anyway, uh, uh, listeners, if you didn't understand that, uh, we, there is going to be a Like a Dragon um, episode of Rhythm Encounter uh, coming very soon. But if you want to uh, review or rate um, Retro Encounter, Random Encounter, or Rhythm Encounter, or other things that RPG Fan creates, you can find those three fine podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or most places you find podcasts. Uh, give all the feedback you're willing to, because we love feedback. In fact, we love feedback so much, we're going to share with you, the listeners, our The Panels, uh, individual social media accounts, so you can find us that way. Uh, let's share the, our social media to however much we're willing to, starting with you, Jono. Uh, sure, you can fire me off an email at jlogan@rpgfan.com. If you have something for Random Encounter, you can fire off an email to podcast at rpgfan.com. And you can find me at Logan at mastodon.social. Now, Josh, your turn. Uh, yeah, you can follow me at uh, Watcher Joshua on Twitter and Tumblr. Now, Audra. Um, email is probably the best way to contact me, B at rpgfan.com. Now, fourth but not least, Tin. I can find me on RPG Fan Discord. I'm just named as Tin there. <laughs> and listeners, uh, last and definitely least, there is me, Mike Solosi. You can find me on Twitter most of the time at The Real Monsoon and at Evoker for Dogs at other times. And on RPG Fans Discord, I am called Monsoon Mike. So, oh boy, I, I mean. This episode is a lot like some other episodes we've done of Retro Encounter, like we've done multiple adaptations episodes and spinoffs episodes, but, uh, and, and I think there was a, an episode just of the, that was just about our, our, our RPG hopes and dreams once upon a time, but uh, I think it was about time to just, you know, be completely obvious about it and just say, hey, these are some RPGs we want remade. I'm glad we finally got to do it. So what you're saying is this episode is essentially just a remake. This episode is a is a uh, it's, it's a it's not a remaster. It's more of a reimagining, a reinterpretation. Um, but I, but I think that you know I mean, we're not uh, Sony Santa Monica or the last or Naughty Dog, so we're def- definitely not going to remake this one for at least another couple of years. Uh, listeners, thank you. Good night and good luck.